An Instagram post gets an unexpected boost. A TikTok catches in the algorithm. Sometimes that's all it takes to launch someone into internet fame. But then what? This Blew Up is a new podcast documentary that reveals how social media stardom is made. It's a different kind of fame that's not always as glamorous as it looks. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Alyssa Bereznak. You can listen to This Blew Up on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of reals always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. Hi, Amanda. How are you? I'm well, Juliette. I'm glad to see you. How are you? I'm doing well. The air conditioning's on because it's so fucking hot in New York. I just don't understand, but whatever. I'm having a hard time. I'm hot. Is the air conditioning on because it's 70s in New York plus the heat is on in all the New York buildings? No, luckily the heat's not on, thank God. That is one of the reasons I left New York was the yeah. inability to control the radiator situation in almost every living yeah. arrangement. Luckily, the heat's not on yet, but I'm just hot. I'm, si- I'm sick of it. Anyway, <laughs> just wanted to share where I'm at. You know, it's a role reversal. It's raining in LA. I don't know. Yeah. Is, is weather talk the cheapest form of small talk there is? It is, but also sometimes is indicative to how people are doing. So I think that's okay. You know, what is it? Like the something fallacy in books? Pathetic fallacy. Pathetic fallacy, yeah. But at the same time, I'm basically a plant now in Los Angeles, you know? Like when the sun isn't out, I also am droopy. So I'm doing my best here on a Monday, but I'm excited to see you. I'm excited about this lineup (laughs) that you've put together. I'm really appreciative to you. Teamwork as always. We're going to talk about some current topics, but we're in the midst of 10 days of Lindsay Lohan here on Ringer Dish. Lindsay Lohan is returning to being an actress. She's got a film coming out on Netflix on 
Friday or Saturday, actually. Can't remember. It's a Christmas movie. It's typically Friday. I, if, if they're releasing it on Saturday, I have more concerns than I already had, but... I'm pretty sure it's Friday. You're right. Okay. <laughs> That's coming out. And she also released a song. She finally did a Jingle Bell Rock recording, which I say finally, because it's probably one of the best scenes in Mean Girls when she sings it. It's just a lot happening. And so we are going to talk about Lindsay Lohan in the year 2007 as part of our, Lindsay, our 10 Days of Lindsay. But before that, we didn't do jam session last week. So a couple things I wanted to hit on. First, I saw a headline over the weekend in the New York Post on page six. And I, I, saw this, like, I saw this as well. <laughs> I'm just going to read the headline. Queen Elizabeth and Tom Cruise became secret friends before her death. <laughs> I, that was a real wait, what moment <laughs> for me? I was just like, wait, what? That's exactly what happened. I mean, this is like National Enquirer grocery line level, you know, headline, except there is at least one unnamed Buckingham Palace source who claims that this is true. It seems like it could be totally made up by Tom Cruise's team in order to try to win him an Oscar by very weird uh, or strategies. Or yeah, or BAFTA. No, that's true. Well, the BAFTA is often a path to an Oscar because the overlap between the BAFTAs and the Academy voting is like pretty high. Anyway, Tom Cruise is just up to some weird shit in the UK, is what I have to say. He's just like parachuting into people's yards while filming Mission Impossible. He's befriending the queen who was 95. Like he's like thinking he's going to get added to the will, which he doesn't need to be because he has a lot of money. And also, I think everything's pretty sewn up there, you know, inheritance wise on the queen's side. Sure. So the genesis of this is that as we discussed, I think at the time, or at least we texted about Tom Cruise was part of the like video presentation for the Platinum Jubilee for the queen's celebrating her 70 years on the throne, but she couldn't meet him because she was ill by that time. She had mobility issues. And so apparently they struck up like a a friendship because they met privately because she was so devastated. She couldn't meet him at the time of the Jubilee. So like, that's weird. And then the other thing is Tom Cruise has also befriended Lewis Hamilton, who is... Some would say, I would say, the greatest Formula One driver of all time and also like a major celebrity. And apparently Lewis turned down a role in Top Gun Maverick because it interfered with his racing schedule. But like to your point, Tom Cruise is like, he's like decamped for England and he's trying to befriend like all the most influential people of the country. It's really weird. I I let you down, Amanda. I didn't see Top Gun Maverick. I'm really sorry. Is it possible he could win an Oscar for that movie? I don't think he'll win. He might be nominated, though I do think that Hollywood feels strangely about him still. I I kind of feel like Hollywood is the last arena that's been willing to re-embrace Tom Cruise after, you know, his weird period. Mm -hmm. And also the, you know, recent Will Smith at the Oscars events kind of, they were very frequently compared to Tom Cruise jumping on the couch. Sure. More on that to come. In terms of just like a total PR disaster that, changes the public's perception of a like very famous movie star. So I don't know whether he will win. I don't think he'll win an Oscar and he might not be nominated. I feel very confident that Top Gun Maverick will be nominated for Best Picture. Guess I better see it. It's now available on streaming. I just, can I ask why not? 
I just haven't really been going to the movies. I mean, well, but now it's at home. So now I'll probably watch it. Yes, I could I could see that happening. But I'm also kind of back to going to the movies, but only if it's free. So I don't know. Right. I'm sorry. You're on the event circuit, <laughs> which is a separate thing. I I would actually love to see Top Gun Maverick with you if we could figure out a way to sure, yeah. engineer that. That sounds fun. I have two follow-ups on this story. Yeah, two questions. Number one, do we think that the Queen has ever seen a Tom Cruise movie? And if so, which film? I was still speaking in the present tense, so I should also say, do we think the Queen ever saw a Tom Cruise movie? I'm going to say she saw Far and Away. I don't think that she saw Far and Away. The Queen's pop cultural taste that I can remember from the top of my head, off the top of my head, was that she was a really big fan of Oklahoma, the musical, like in the 50s. I'm not sure she probably understood how transgressive it was at the time, but good pick. Right. And then she really liked the Durrells in Corfu. And so she was very very excited when Josh O'Connor was cast as, not excited, but when Josh O'Connor was cast as her son in The Crown. She said that she really liked him and Doral's on Corfu, according to someone. So with that frame of reference, I just don't know that the queen was seeking out risky business, Jerry Maguire, a few good men, collateral, eyes wide shut, Top Gun, Mission Impossible. What else am I forgetting? Cocktail. That's why I think Far and Away is one of is like the most likely choice. First of all, Nicole Kidman is Australian. She is from a Commonwealth country. Okay. <laughs> if I recall correctly, it's about two Irish immigrants moving to the United States related to the United Kingdom. Yeah. The related is doing more work there than <laughs> it's ever done on a podcast. But keep going. And it's also just like... I mean, I haven't seen it since I was a kid, but I think it was like pretty campy and bad. And it just seems like the most likely of the films that the queen would have seen. I don't think that she ever saw a Tom Cruise film, but I'm glad that they had a friendship. Here's the other follow-up that I would like to discuss with you, which pertains to Lewis Hamilton and some content that I saw on your Instagram when you went to the Mexico City Grand Prix. Yes. So you posted a video of a man in a Daft Punk helmet riding a razor scooter and then (laughs) we're like lewis hamilton with like 14 exclamation points that's correct and i understand that lewis hamilton is uh incredibly decorated and internationally famous and everywhere and beloved but in that moment i was like you juliet lipman are asking me to take daft punk scooter guy seriously like this is what you're selling me as the coolest person on earth I definitely have not said Lewis is the coolest person on earth and I never would. I do like him quite a bit though. Okay. Lewis's scooter is famous. There's so much like hubbub in what's called the paddock, which is like backstage at Formula One, that if he doesn't like race off, pun intended, quickly, he'll get like mobbed by fans and press and stuff. So before he comes out of the garage, like where his car is parked when he's not racing it, the scooter is waiting for him like... It's like literally like a chariot awaiting. And it's like a thing that Lewis rides the scooter around the paddock. So it was a pretty big deal, Amanda, when I saw it. Okay. Do you want to give any updates or reviews of the rest of your Grand Prix experience? <laughs> I went to one restaurant that Jesse Ware posted about, La Docena. It's like an oyster bar type of place in Mexico City. I went on Sunday night. My reservation was at 8.30. 
It was so hip and so poppin' and so great. I was just like, great recommendation, Jesse Ware. Thank you so much. It was in Roma. It was a crazy weekend in Mexico City. Everywhere, <laughs> people were just wearing Checo. He's a driver. Checo gear, Red Bull gear. Like The Grand Prix had such a huge presence. Plus, it was Dia de los Muertos. So there was that going on. It was just... It was wild. Anyway, Jesse Ware's restaurant recommendation was awesome. I then went to this breakfast place on Monday morning where someone from camp who I haven't seen in 20 years, totally random, really funny. And the Grand Prix was awesome. I mean, I don't know, like it actually deserves like a whole jam session conversation because the marriage of like sport and international culture is so wild. At the end of this Grand Prix, I didn't know this was going to happen, but Martin Garrix came out and he just DJed for like, I don't know, 45 minutes. And people went wild. And like the racetrack, it's like a big track, you know, I don't even know how to describe it. It's a car racing track. People just flooded it. And so like it went from being a track to being like a sea of people. And they were just like all dancing to Martin Garrix DJing. And it was actually him because unlike Daft Punk and Lewis Hamilton, he wasn't wearing a helmet. And there's just like such an incredible component of like this sort of like really like European international poshness. And of course I was in Mexico city. There's plenty of Mexicans too, but formula one, the heart of it is really in Europe. Although now it's global and it's just such a fascinating study. I I mean, there's just like so much there. I had an amazing time. If you can go to a grand prix, you definitely should. You described it on food news as they throw the super bowl every weekend in a different location. That's correct. Yes. (laughs) I think what, Personally, what's limiting me is my interest in attending a Super Bowl, you know? But I... Uh-huh. Okay. Let me set the scene for you. At one point, I watched the racing. There's, I was having food and drink. It was great. I had paddock access. So at one point, when I saw Lewis Hamilton go by on his scooter, I was basically like behind the garages. There's like a series of like... I kept calling them houses. They're sort of like small storefronts. It's sort of like a, a war room for each team or whatever. And each and on the front of each one, there's like a patio where you can like you get served food and drink, or you can watch the race. And then there's like a Heineken beer garden nearby. So the best part was sitting on like a patio, feeling like I was like in France at a cafe drinking sparkling wine while watching like these 20. 20 drivers. There's only 20 of them in the world, like all their entourages and like wondering who are like, are these people famous? And then like, I did see like Scooter Braun and Will I Am, like a couple other random celebrities. <laughs> it was not very celebrity out, which I was really happy about because it just meant that I was like able to en- enjoy my like fake European experience more in Mexico City, which is a wonderful place onto its own right. And so there was like a lot of just sort of like casual taking in of spectacle in between like car racing happening. And people are so excited to be there and like are so excited about these drivers. It was pretty common for people to just get close to someone who's Formula One famous and then take a selfie with them in the background. Like not even like together, but just sort of like... And like very conspicuously. It was it was wild. I was with you until spectacle and car racing, you know? <laughs> but But that's okay. I know that you love it. I have other friends who have gotten really invested in Formula One as a result of Drive to Survive. That's what it's called, right? Yes. I have been told that if I actually watched the show, I too would be, you know, swept up in this. And I really love Mexico City and I'm really jealous that you got to go spend a weekend in Mexico City. So that part sounds great. 
that part was great, but I'll just say it was more like spending a weekend in like Planet Formula One currently located in, in Mexico City than like exploring Mexico City. Okay. So it was, it was so much fun. I just, it was awesome. And it was a really cool race. And man, people in Mexico love Martin Garrix. I had no idea. I have to be honest. You've said that name five times and I'm supposed to know who it is, but I don't. He's like a DJ. He's like a, like a you know, generic European white guy who happens to like push buttons okay. on stage. I don't, the only DJ I know is Mark Ronson. And Diplo. I'm very disrespectful of DJs. I don't really mean that. I do think like people who like make beats and like, many DJs and producers are like really incredible. But I just think that like, I would never go to like a DJ's concert because I don't really care about like a rave. I mean, another great part about my experience was that I didn't have to be in a sea of people in the middle of of the track. So like, that's why I'm not going to see a DJ in concert. But I'm also just like with someone to your point about like Lewis Hamilton's helmet, like with Daft Punk, as we previously discussed, anyone could be pushing buttons. You can't get close enough to know who it is and they're wearing a helmet. It's like could literally be anyone. So... Anyway, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> I really enjoyed this entire review. Thank you to, for going to Mexico <laughs> City and so for much explaining for the scooter. <laughs> the scooter was awesome. The real highlight, though, for me was not captured on video because I was living in the moment, which was Toto Wolf, who is the hottest man in Formula One. He is the like GM of Mercedes. He too was on a scooter at one point, but he like almost fell off it. And when I was like sitting at my fake French cafe he like almost fell off like right in front of me. So he was like right in front of me for a certain number of seconds that felt really long because when you're in love, time is elastic. And <laughs> I was so giddy. I was like, oh my God, Toto. That was really, really, really exciting. So. I'm going to say this, which is I, I do understand that scooters when handled responsibly or and regulated are you know, a great transportation option, particularly in an urban environment. Mm -hmm. I don't think I could ever take a grown man on a scooter seriously. Even a man as handsome as the one that you posted on Instagram, who I believe is Total Wolf. Yeah, that's, I think that's an age generation thing for me. It's just, it's too late. I think in the, I agree, except in the context of like evading crowds and specifically in the paddock of a Grand Prix. Not even evading crowds. That just looks really silly. But like, you don't have the full context because you haven't bought in. Like, I don't know. Okay, okay, that's true. I don't have the context. We can keep it moving. Also, I think if you saw Toto in person, you'd probably melt on the spot. It was hard for me to hold it together. He's so handsome and like just exudes luxury, wealth, and success. It's amazing. Does he have a special scooter? Is it like a Louis Vuitton scooter or whatever? I think it's probably like whatever the most utilitarian, best performing scooter is, I, which I don't know because okay. I'm not in the There's scooter There's not world. a luxury scooter market. I bet there is. I bet they <laughs> could. Yeah, we could. We should try for that advertising money. <laughs> There's not. Let's move on. A couple more quick hits. I just want to note last night, Eminem was inducted into, into like some Hall of Fame and he performed Stan, one of his signature tunes. And Dido did not perform with him, but the ever available Ed Sheeran did. I just felt needed to follow up on that. <laughs> Ed Sheeran, very available. And I guess living in America, I feel like he's just like doing all these American gigs. Do you think that he's getting a check for the Definitely. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Yeah. Okay. Yes. To, to quote Amanda, does this man, does this man need money? Like what's going on? Yeah. I'm confused. Okay. Next, on a much sadder note, Aaron Carter passed away. I said that like in an upbeat way. I didn't mean to. I find it quite sad. He was 34. He had drowned in a bathtub in his home, which is in the Palmdale area of California, which is like an hour and a half outside of LA. I just mentioned it. It's obviously tragic. I 
feel so sad for Nick Carter who's and his surviving siblings. They've now lost two siblings. Another one of their sisters died 10 years ago. And I just can't even imagine what that's like. So it's just really, really sad. Incredibly sad. But wishing his family the best and his child. Next, Amanda, Jennifer Lawrence. Really, she's been doing a lot. She's she's continuing to do press. She's like redefining herself. <laughs> How's her movie? So she's in a film called Causeway, which is on Apple Plus, meaning that you could watch it. She, it co-stars Brian Tyree Henry. And it's a small, quiet film. It was filmed in New Orleans. It's a, Jennifer Lawrence plays a, a young woman, a veteran who serves in Afghanistan. And I guess she's not a veteran because she's still active. She's waiting to redeploy. And she's at home in the meantime, dealing with her mother and making a friend in Brian Tyree Henry. She's fantastic in it. Mm. I, you know, it's it's kind of like old school back to indie, like character drama, Jennifer Lawrence after being, you know, Hunger Games and everything else for a million years. But I just 15 minutes in was like, oh, yeah, I remember like why Jennifer Lawrence is Jennifer Lawrence. She's incredibly good. She's just a very talented actor. I don't know if it's a must-see. I also really like Brian Tyree Henry. She's got another film coming up that is more of like a classic studio comedy, I think. Mm. But you're right that she's been on the press tour. She gave a interview to The Times that had, a, you know, Jennifer Lawrence always gives a good quote and it talks about how she fired her agent because she didn't like the script she was getting. And I don't know. Everyone was getting sick of Jennifer Lawrence and she was too and all sorts of stuff. I don't know. She's, I think she's trying to do a bit of a reset and mm. I yeah, think it definitely. might work actually because she's her. still so talented. I don't know. I I say that as someone who likes watching movies and likes watching good people in movies. So maybe I it like won't her work too. People. I don't know. She is a really good actress. Like, I was just thinking about the movies I've seen her in. The Hunger Games, obviously. She's she is quite good in those. Yes. You know, the complicated but entertaining Silver Linings playbook. She's very good in that. Very good. I didn't know she had a comedy coming up, but I, I'm delighted to hear that because I think that she's a great like physical comedian. Like she's a great, she's sort of like can do like slapstick and she is just a great actress. So I'm welcoming it. That sounds great. Yeah. And she's good at press as well. So yes, definitely. All right. Next up. I just wanted to mention one thing. It's been like a pretty depressing time to be a human. And there's just a lot of stuff going on. And last week, there was all this discussion about anti-Semitism in response to Kanye West and then Kyrie Irving. And a lot of it's just been super depressing. However, there was one thing that I really, really made an impact on me that I just wanted to note, which was Tyler Perry's Instagram. Had you seen this before I put it on our rundown, Amanda? No, I hadn't. And it's really remarkable. Yeah. So Tyler Perry posted a photo of his mom working at the Jewish Community Center nursery school when he, from when he was a kid, when it's where she worked. And then he spoke about the long history of Jews and Black people working together for progress in terms of like the founding of the NAACP and Freedom Rides in the South in the 60s. And it was just like a really touching note that was punctuated by his personal experience and also like historical facts. And I think it's like, it was like the most compelling response to the anti-Semitism of Kanye and subsequently Kyrie that, that I've seen. And I feel like for a long time, Tyler Perry, because he was playing Medea and the work that he was doing was sort of like not really embraced or celebrated by like mainstream media or in, in a lot of ways, he just like didn't get the credit he deserves. And I just like over the years realize have come to see that and like, just think he's 
a pretty remarkable person who ultimately tries to do the right thing. And I just wanted to mention it. I don't know. I, I like really appreciated it. Yeah, I hadn't seen this either. This is really lovely. And in addition to everything that you're saying about trying to do the right thing, I mean, he has, as trying to work in Hollywood, kind of created like his own entire yeah. world because, as you said, mainstream media didn't take him totally seriously. And so he now has like a massive production complex in Atlanta and employs a lot of yeah. people. And is really remarkable. And I also, I always really like it when he shows up in a movie as an actor. Just, just put Me that too. Out there. I'm just always Me like, too. oh, this is going to be good. Yeah, which leads us to our next thing. I just wanted to take your temperature on. We don't need to get too yeah. deep into it. But Tyler Perry has been a part of the Will Smith narrative since Will Smith slapped Chris Rock at the Oscars about nine months ago or more at this point. Tyler Perry is one of the first people to seemingly console. We don't know what he said, but he was speaking to Will Smith right after it happened. And he was in a photo recently of having seen Emancipation, Will Smith's Apple Plus movie directed by Anton Fuqua. And I was just curious how the reemergence of Will Smith is sitting with you so far. I mean, this is going to be fascinating, right? And this is Apple decided to release this film in December of this year, a film that's supposed to be quite good and be in the awards conversation. And I think that there was some question about whether they would throw throw this and throw the Will Smith of it all back into the ring so soon after the Oscars incident, which certainly overshadowed last year's Oscars. And then they decided to go for it. And Will Smith, after doing his to quote Chris Rock, a hostage video of apology over... Was it over the summer? The Yeah, it was, I think, in July. My central trauma is letting people down is actually probably the low point of the whole Will Smith 2022 for me personally, that I didn't care for that at all. And now that he's done that video, he just is moving on, apparently. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like, yeah, it never happened, which is interesting and... He's done a lot of events, is really just on the press tour for Emancipation, which on the one hand, I think it's important to support this movie that a lot of people worked very hard on and that apparently deserves a spotlight. I mean, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. But, you know, I respect that. And also, I prefer this to the kind of hand-wringing you know, videos of apology that, and, yeah. and I'm working it out and like therapy in real time. I just like don't have a lot of patience for that. On the other hand, it is still, it's, it's kind of not galling, but I'm like, wow, you're just really going for it. And you're just going to pretend like it, it did not happen. Yeah. I mean, one thing that you said a few minutes ago or a few moments ago that I definitely agree with is like, a movie's not made by one person. And actually when I was on the town with Matt Bellany, when the um, so-called hostage video came out, like my take was, I thought that like the best thing Will Smith could do would would be to go out and support this film so that everyone else's work was it was received and and whatnot. So on the one hand, like I'm I'm glad he's doing that. I would be really surprised if at no point he does a interview or like at no point like addresses this, addresses what happened. So it seems like they're kind of they're dipping their toe I into it. it. Yeah. You're right. And the other thing that I would say is that obviously it was just a completely indefensible and bizarre incident. And and I thought the speech was really disappointing. But I am also ready to move on from... Same. You know, I think that at some point the conversation did lose some, like, perspective about what happened. 
So I totally agree. I don't want any of the hand wringing. I think you're right. I also would be surprised if he doesn't do some sort of um, conversation, though it's hard to imagine them being comfortable agreeing to another sit down. Like I, I know your idea, which I thought was a very good one, was Howard Stern or something yeah. similar. But I don't know if he can sell that right now. I don't know either. I think you just need someone who's like going to go, who won't, who doesn't like back down to give yeah, a legitimacy. But it's notable that everything since that really strange video have been all mediated appearances where he's in an Instagram post with a lot of other famous people. Yeah. Or he's, you know, speaking to the Lakers for some reason, or yeah. he's on a, like a college tour. So you're seeing that other people are willing to be photographed with him, but you aren't getting a lot of direct stuff. He's also been doing like weird memes on his Instagram. Well, that's a return to form yeah. for him. <laughs> I, well, I always really liked them. And, and now there's a little something off, but I'm ready for the conversation to be more measured about everything. But I, I agree with you. I, it's a little strange to just not acknowledge it at all. Yeah. I think he will, but yeah. one thing I just wanted to note in the video or the photo that we that we first mentioned with Tyler Perry, Dave Chappelle's in it too. Yeah. And I thought that was really noteworthy because I believe Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle did like a series of co-headlining shows together. They did. Right after the Oscars. And so I felt like that was also very specific to kind of like show there that like there are people on both both sides or like someone who's friends with Chris Rock who's who's willing to associate with Will Smith or accept this movie. And I thought that was like a very political move. Obviously, this is all very carefully managed. I just thought that was like particularly noteworthy. I mean, I think it's like undeniable, like don't hit people and don't do it on national TV. Yeah. But like, I'm, I'm also like ready to move on from punishing Will Smith. There's people doing much worse things in this exactly. world. Exactly. I agree with you completely. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, 
all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right. Thus concludes the topical portion of this podcast. We are now going to discuss Lindsay Lohan in the year 2007, which you cannot do without discussing the year of Lindsay Lohan 2006. Amanda and I were in college. Lindsay Lohan is basically our contemporary. And had you caught us two to three years earlier, we would have told you this was a star on the rise as all of the press indicated. And then things really went south in 2006. When do you remember Lindsay Lohan taking a nosedive? I remember specific photographs. I remember mm-hmm. the New York Post headline, Bimbo Summit, and which was a photograph of Lindsay, Paris Hilton, and Britney Spears together out on the town. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what year that is specifically, but I remember it as mid-2000s, and that it is was, sort of yeah. the summation. I remember Lindsay Lohan's mugshot, which is a really tough thing to say, but I do. So, and I always remember that the set of Herbie Fully Loaded was a real front line in the Lindsay Lohan battle. That was a real, like, oh, yeah. this isn't going to work out. <laughs> right. And it was because it there was something about it being a Disney movie and, you know, the name Herbie Fully Loaded, which is uh, Herbie is a talking car. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. And she was going through whatever personal issues that she was going through. And I think we should talk a little bit about all of the, there were a lot of extenuating circumstances, a very tough family life and personal life and her own early childhood fame and being in the spotlight and a lot of pressure. But she was also just like visibly partying a lot. In addition to all of that, she, she was in tough circumstances and then also ran into like the, the Hollywood light like very brightly and I remember all of that happening all at once on Herbie Fully Loaded. For me it's when she went blonde because also oh, yeah. in, in the mugshots photos that you're referring to she's she's blonde so sort of like that's like it's her blonde era. Yeah. Herbie Fully Loaded was in 2005 mm-hmm. and I think that was her last movie with Disney. She had done four Disney movies. Parent Trap, Mean Girls, Freaky Friday, Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen. Right. And Parent Trap and yes. Mean Girls. And yeah. Herbie Fully Loaded, I think, was the fourth. Oh, you're right. Not Mean Girls. Yes, yeah. it's Herbie. And she started, like, things really took a turn for her in 2006 when she was filming Georgia Rule. And <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. I only laugh out of discomfort because going back and revisiting some of this stuff, you're just like sort of, it's kind of like hard to believe that this was all real. But probably the turning point in her career as an actress was at the head of the studio that was making Georgia Rule leaked a letter that he also sent to her. And the letter basically talked, it was from James G. Robinson, who worked at, what was it called, Amanda? Something Creek? Morgan Creek, excuse me. They were the company behind George Rule. And he basically like detailed in this like very stern, lengthy letter, her horrible behavior about showing up late, her partying, it sort of introduced the heat exhaustion excuse to the world of like when some, when a celebrity says that they're sick 
when they say teenage exhaustion or dehydration, it's like actually, you know, partying related. And it's kind of insane to think about how this, how big her star was and how much was riding on her as, a, as an actress for these different companies that someone leaked this letter hoping to like get her in line. I mean, it's pretty wild. Yeah. I think, and by someone, I mean, probably the person who wrote it or his company. Well, I mean, it, and I think also they're leaking the letter in order not just to get her in line, but to try to protect their financial interests, you know, mm-hmm. that it's and trying to get ahead of whatever happens on the other side. And frankly, also to get more attention for this production in any way possible. I think it's a pretty, it's not like the kindest thing to do. I, I don't believe the, the the motivations are entirely interested in Lindsay Lohan's well-being when writing a letter like this, you know, which yeah. is sort of a summary of everything that was going on with her. This the way that we covered her and how much we knew about her in 2006 and 2007 is still really appalling. And what's so interesting about it is that you and I were in college so, or I had just graduated. So this is also when our like brains are being formed media-wise. Sure. Which yeah. is a lot of what the podcast we did, Just Like Us, is about because Claire Malone, the host, is, is our age as well. But you go back and you think about the access to the mugshots and the multiple DUIs. This is right around when TMZ launches. So we are kind of both discovering this level of access to these individuals in real time and also don't know the boundaries yet. And totally. it's really, really nuts and upsetting. Yeah. TMZ comes into the picture at the end of the year because they get video of her like chugging from a bo- allegedly chugging from a bottle of champagne on New Year's Eve and Capri. And it's interesting. There was I was going back and, and checking it out, and Sharon Waxman of the Rap, who's just sort of like been in Hollywood media for a long time, back in '07, she sort of wrote like an autopsy on Lindsay Lohan on the occasion of Georgia Rule coming out and Lindsay getting one of her get Lindsay getting a DUI. And there's so much like punitive language towards her, and from the beginning, both by choice and by the media she's associated with Britney Spears and Paris Hilton and like other you know young women of the time but i feel like the the coverage of her was in in a in a way like so so different like i feel like with with Britney Spears there was like the sexualization of her that happened really early and then she was vilified in the Justin Timberlake breakup but i feel like in Paris Hilton was like you know a new type of archetype so she was there wasn't as much to, to define her by. But I feel like with Lindsay Lohan, very early, like a lot of people were like, you're either going to be a wild child or you're going to be a serious actress. And it's just interesting to me that like that was vocalized so much. Like even Jamie Lee Curtis said it to her. And then I think Jane Fonda is credited with having said it to her on the set of Georgia Rule. It's sort of interesting. Like everyone just saw this going one of two ways. You think that's because of like a lack of imagination or because she was such a good actress that people were like, whoa, this is stark. I think that people really did see the promise in her, which you can see from Parent Trap, which she's 11 mm-hmm. years old and carries that movie and is remarkable. She's a great, she is a great actress. Yeah. yeah. And she is also then in Mean Girls in 2004, which is kind of like an instant classic. And we forget that she also carries that movie and she has the harder job, which is playing like not playing the Regina hero. George, even though yeah. she wanted to be Regina George. She's like the audience stand in and she has to be, you know, empathetic and relatable while also becoming a plastic and then unbecoming a plastic. It's a, and and being funny. It's a tricky 
line to walk, and she does it wonderfully. And so I think people just really saw a long career ahead of her. And it was remarkable, not just how quickly that did not happen, but also how much of it we could see in real time. It just, because of the timing, her entire career disintegration happened like in front of TMZ cameras and became like part of the narrative. And it was fascinating and kind of, I would say, like became a part of her celebrity for a while and maybe kept her in front of the cameras a bit more than it should have, which is also Mm -hmm. just like really upsetting. I was rereading a, a Vanity Fair cover from February 2006, which I remember vividly. And it, you know, is already trying to do damage control on, like, the first round of things going wrong and the Herbie Frilly loaded and a lot of her difficult parents. I mean, she does not have the most supportive and problem-free of parents. We'll just put it that way. Well, that Vanity Fair article reminded me of probably, like, to me, the craziest Lindsay fact that I often forget, which is she just lived at the Chateau Marmont for, like, a long time. Right. (laughs) Which is, like... Is like the stereotype of like a wild celebrity. You did you ever read Daisy Jones and the Six? You probably didn't. I tried, but I it was right after Knox was born, and I couldn't follow the oral history format. You know, I just couldn't remember who was who. Sure, living no n- no judgment. Living at the chateau is like a big piece of it, and like of course that's just like a big part of Hollywood history. And right. like it's sort of like insane that Lindsay Lohan actually did that with like her assistant nearby and no parents. Zach, Peter, and I talked about this when we did the 2004 pod. Lindsay moved to LA as a 17-year-old without her parents. It was just sort of like trying to navigate this world really early on and sort of like, it's just crazy to think about that. So this is all written and presented in the 2006 profile by Ephigenia Pretz as like this piece is a Lindsay Lohan redemption piece of sorts. Yeah. You know, this is like... Or it's, yeah, you're supposed well, to like understand her and right, understand and the trauma. Right, and she's talking about her bulimia and her parental issues and what was going on on the set of Herbie Fully Loaded and now how she's like in a better place at the Chateau Marmont, you know? And it's just kind of like, no, but we know... We know what the Chateau Marmont means in Hollywood history, you know? Nothing good yeah. happens there. I mean, some fun parties... The Chateau was a fun place to have lunch once upon a time as a normal person. But it's it's a mess. And this is like a full year and a half ahead of everything else that goes wrong before the release of Georgia Rule almost. So it's just, it's interesting to me how much the kind of downfall like became the text itself. Yeah. And I consumed all of it. I feel kind of gross about it. Well, I think we're all relitigating yeah. how we and how we consume culture in the aughts, which was really a over honestly an overwhelming time and very defining, which is why we made the podcast just like us, which yes. you should all listen to. Search for it on Spotify. The other thing that I, I had forgotten and then was reminded it was that she didn't make another movie for two years after 2007. Like and it, you know, in general, she hasn't had much commercial success with cinema since basically, I mean, what was her last successful movie? I mean, I guess it was are we counting the canyons as successful, which is the infamous Paul Schrader movie that she did? That the is canyons a, was a was an inflection point. I don't know yes. if I'd call it successful. <laughs> but when Jody and I were going through her filmography for the most underrated movie, I was reminded that 
basically after about 2007, she just doesn't have that many yeah. credits. She's doing supporting parts. There is like a five-year gap. I mean, it, she, I don't think she's made a significant movie in the last decade. She which hasn't. Is sad. And now she's a Netflix deal. So she's got one to come and more to follow, which is, I can't, I'm curious to see how this goes. I genuinely wish her the best, but I don't, I don't know it's going to work out. Yeah. This, yeah. We, I mean, we have a lot more Lindsay Lohan. It's, it's content to come, but this is sort of, you said get the canons as inflection point, but this is like an inflection point as well. Yeah. This is the year that everything changed for her. And she was, she, the, the promise of Lindsay Lohan evaporated in 2007. It's yeah. really quite sad. Well, if you want to know more about Lindsay Lohan, listen to our previous episodes. We've also got so much more happening here on Ringer Dish. And on Friday on Tea Time, they'll be reviewing her new movie. So hope you all look forward to it. We'll be back next Monday as per usual. Thank you to Jade Whaley for producing this episode and have a great week. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.